Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with Nate Laurie with the Brazen Life Morph Collapsible Foam Roller. Nate, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Roy. I'm pumped to be here. No, I'm excited to talk to you today. This is going to be fun. So you ended up creating a portable, collapsible, storable foam roller. This is a really interesting product. I've got a few foam rollers. My wife has her own foam rollers. So what's the background here? What's what's the story for our audience? Yeah, so that's a great question. In my former life, I was an NFL player. I played eight years of professional football. And while I was playing in the NFL, I had actually a bad back injury. And through that recovery process, I learned how to use a foam roller. And I was using them all the time, but when I was traveling, I wouldn't take a foam roller with me because they're fixed volume, they're a pain to put in a backpack, they're a pain to put in a carry-on. So I wouldn't take it with me. And I'd come back and I'd feel like I'd set myself back in my training. And I wanted to have something that I could use anytime, use it when I was on the road, use it at the gym, use it when I was going out to the track. And there was nothing that was convenient to do that. So had this concept to make it collapsible so it would fit in any pack and continue to play. And then when I retired, I kind of tinkered with the idea a little bit, built it in essentially the garage, a rough prototype, just kind of left it for a while. And then, you know, as I was kind of building a rebuilding another business that I inherited when I retired, I got really passionate about taking this project on and building it and trying to help people take care of their bodies the way I wanted to while I was playing football and the way I needed to actually after I retired because I was uh, still bruised and battered from my playing days and really relying on foam rollers. And that gave me the passion and the motivation to continue forward and to launch the product. So is this the first product you've ever created? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty, I guess, inventive as a child, creating different things. Always loved to tinker, always loved to, you know, take things apart, see how they work, put them back together. So I've, I've always had that kind of engineering mindset. Uh, took some engineering classes when I was in college at Yale. And so kind of had a background in it. Actually, it was in a new product development class while I was at Yale, where I was our team's lead product developer. And, you know, had always kind of loved doing projects like that. And so it's not exactly the first product I've created, but it's the first product I've brought to market and something that I found it's something that I was truly passionate about and something that would improve the products that were currently on offer. And so I went for it. So being a first timer, when you were creating Morph, what was that process like? You know, how did you go about deciding what features to include in the designs or what materials to use. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, so the good thing is I had a ton of experience with foam rollers. In the NFL, we have access to 
all of the best equipment, mobility equipment, training tools, training staff tools, stuff that helps us take care of our body. So I had experienced everything on the market and I knew what I wanted in the product. You know, there were certain features that I want. I wanted it to one, obviously be collapsible and portable. And to do that, it had to be lightweight. It had to be strong. It had to be strong enough to support not only myself, but I wanted it to be able to support the, you know, the big 350 pound defensive lineman. So it had to have a structure that could support that. And then on top of that, I didn't want to compromise the foam rolling experience or the surface that you would get from a good foam roller. All other kind of quote unquote portable foam rollers before had essentially just made them either shorter or smaller in diameter. And what that does is it takes away a ton of the usability of a good foam roller. You want something that's about five and a half to six inches in diameter. You want something that's going to expand your entire back. For me, the best foam roller is the one that you can use on a consistent basis. And the only way to do that is to have something that you can tote around without having to think twice about it. And so for all these different objectives, you know, we selected the design that we went for. And like I said, I mean, that started with a rough prototype, an idea in my head, went and bought some materials from Home Depot and built a, a very rudimentary prototype in the garage. I got on it expecting it to just completely shatter and it didn't, it helped me. And that's like, that's really gave me the motivation to continue forward from there. Awesome. So what was the biggest challenge you encountered when you were designing the product? We encountered a lot of problems and a lot of challenges. You know, one was doing it while I had another business that I was running and, and trying to grow and, and just finding that time. That was kind of the first thing. And then, you know, through the development process, it was finding the right materials. We kind of designed the product from the start to be very easy to manufacturing without a lot of tooling. So, you know, we wanted to create a product that we didn't have to invest a quarter million dollars in tooling up front. We wanted to be able to assemble it, create some fixtures, and be able to build it from there while we're growing the business, finding the demand for it, making sure that that was there. And so through that, we've had to really develop good processes on the manufacturing side to be able to get the quality that we expect, to be able to meet all the objectives that we held out there, and to have a great-looking kind of design-oriented product. And so there's a lot of challenges. I mean, working with suppliers, we get supplies from all over the world and we manufacture at our own facility in, in Romania. And so that means we have to source products from Asia, from Europe, from America. We get them all at our factory and then we assemble them. And that's a big undertaking to coordinate it all in real time. And while we have a growing business, trying to project what our future demand is and, and trying to get product in process and in inventory so we can keep up with that. And that's been, there's been a lot. Um, it's a pretty challenging product to make. And we're looking at it's simplifying it as much as possible right now so that we can really take it to the next level. So a lot of first-time product developers are always interested in knowing, you know, how do you go about finding, you know, the materials, the factories? I mean, you said you're, you're manufacturing in Romania. How does that come to be? Yeah, it's a unique situation for us in particular. So my wife's father has a precision parts manufacturing company in Romania. So kind of a quick backstory there. She was born in Romania. They fled under the communist regime, lived in refugee camps, and then came to the United States when she was about seven. And then I met her at Yale. Her dad, after you know things changed in 89, was looking to go back. And about a decade later, he built a factory in Romania that does something completely different. They make precision hydraulic parts for some of the top companies in the world. 
But at the same time, he had some technical expertise there, obviously. I had some extra square footage there. And we were able to kind of co-utilize resources while we were doing the prototyping and prototype development over there. And we had one engineer that, that really took the project to heart. And besides me, knew it as well as anyone. And so when it was came to the decision of where do we manufacture this, knowing that there was a lot of knowledge that we had already gained by prototyping so much and thinking about production and knowing it was going to be a hand-assembled product, it made sense to start there so that we could control the process early on. We could control the knowledge and the product as long as possible while we're growing it and really dialing it in with the long-term goal that we would outsource production when we got to full scale. So we decided to start there. We had some extra square footage. We set up a production line and you know we expected to make 10,000 rollers there. We're now closing in on 20,000 rollers there and, and still working to refine that process so that we can export it and, and like I said, scale that production even more. Oh, it's awesome to hear the success on that. So let's jump back. You ended up doing a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. You got hundreds of backers, tens of thousands in funding. What made you decide that crowdfunding was the right path to launch the foam roller? From the start, it was kind of always the idea. We wanted to validate the idea through that process. And for a lot of reasons, the most entrepreneurs choose crowdfunding. One, it's obviously you get the money to go into production. So it really helps offset some of that production cost. Most people underestimate how much they're going to need. We definitely did. But at the same time, it gives you a sense of you know where the demand in the market is if you do it correctly. And I would say that you know, not everybody does it correctly and, and they may give up on their ideas because they didn't get a good response from crowdfunding. Whereas, you know, potentially they just don't know the marketing side of it or don't know how to really work the crowdfunding game and they don't get the backing that they thought they would. We wanted to do that. We also liked the idea of generating a lot of buzz. You know, we've, we saw the, the PR generated from good crowdfunding campaigns and we thought that was a good platform for us to start on. So we, so we went that route as a, as a way to get started. Yeah. So what was the biggest surprise in running your first Kickstarter campaign? I had a little bit of experience kind of marketing. We used a few tools to get started. You know, we used like Tim Ferriss's hacking Kickstarter that was actually put together by Soma Water, I believe. And some of those tools really to generate buzz, PR, early backers. And we had pretty good success for that. I would say we had really good success on the PR side because it is a compelling product and a compelling backstory. And so that was great. But we, what we underestimated is how important the digital marketing side of it is. And we thought we, we knew what we were doing there. And we started off our campaign really the, for the, the first you know 15 to 20 days doing that part on our own. And we just weren't, we weren't getting the traffic, even though we were getting decent PR, we weren't getting the traffic that we really needed to really hit it out of the park. We brought on a company towards the end that really knew that piece of it. And they helped us immensely through the end of end of our campaign to really take it to the next level. And, you know, had, had we started with them on that digital marketing side, I do think we would have hit maybe 200,000 in our campaign just by the numbers we were doing on a day-to-day basis towards the end of our campaign. So that was a big learning process. And then, you know, just the, the level of expectation, Kickstarter backers by and large are very understanding. They've been through it, the difficulties. Uh, we thought going in, we had a good handle on what it would take to get into production. And then a lot of processes, a lot of components changed as we 
you know, realized some of the parts weren't up to our standard and would provide the longevity of the product that we demanded from it. So it was a big learning process. I feel much smarter going into a, a future Kickstarter campaign than where I was at the beginning. Nice. So your campaign funded in December of 2015, a couple of years ago. And then this past October, you made an appearance on Shark Tank for season nine, where you got to deal with Lori and Sarah. Let's talk about that. So we've had some experience getting our clients on Shark Tank, and they always have some interesting feedback of, you know, what gets shown and what doesn't get shown. So give our audience an idea of your experience getting onto the show and what it was like under the lights. It's as nerve wracking as you would expect. You know, you go on there and we all watch the show, right? It's a, it's an amazing show. I think you can learn a lot as an entrepreneur from watching the show and just the fact that, you know, the questions that they ask are very pointed and they're, they're really trying to get to the, the base of the business and figure out why it should work or why it shouldn't work. And understanding that is good questions to think about if you're starting a business. So I've watched the show for years and it's intimidating because you, you see people go on and just get slammed. And, you know, I, I had no expectation that that would happen because we've seen success in our product before. We know that it has, and we're further along than some of the companies that come on just too early, but still, you know, there's that, that possibility. So you go up and, you know, you stand in front of the sharks and you have to be on point and there it's real time. You know, I always assumed, I guess years ago that going on to shark tank meant like you got to meet the entrepreneurs or the sharks prior to, you got to tell them your idea. And then it was kind of like a formality thing where you're going on, but it's not, they, the sharks don't know anything about your product. They don't know you before you go up there. So what you see is real. The pitch is, is quite a bit longer than what gets cut down and they, they get to the, the meat of, of the pitch. It's kind of a crazy process and, and Shark Tank has been amazing for us. It's given us a real platform to talk about our product, to talk about our mission. And so we, we've been thrilled with the outcome. So once you knew you were going to be on Shark Tank, what did you do to prepare for that experience? Yeah, that's the tough thing is, you, you know, you shoot and then it's a couple months and you don't actually know when you're going to go on. You work through the due diligence after after the show. And so, you know, you kind of have to juggle some different things to, to be prepared for it. We, you know, had a good feeling that we would be on after we shot. So we, we started to make plans to get inventory. That meant we had to, to fund a big inventory purchase and get it going. That took longer than, than expected. And then they let you know that you're going to air a pretty short amount of time before you actually air. And so there's not a lot you can do to really prepare for that. We try to be as prepared as possible. The show went on and, you know, our sales blow up. And we get a ton of back orders and we're watching it and we're super excited and we're looking at, you know, what does this mean for our production? We're so far behind. We actually sold out our last piece of inventory in stock like a couple hours before the show went live. And so we, we didn't have any inventory when the show started. And so we're looking at that and just watching it and knowing what our production schedule is like. And, and we're still working through it now. We're actually still on back order from Shark Tank. They aired us on October 29th, and then they re-aired us again on December 29th, which was an, another big boost. So we're still working through all those back orders now. The great thing is it's given us such a good handle on our production scale up on the really 
kind of redefining the processes and knowing how many, you know, rollers we can make per month and how we have to grow it, you know, what parts we need to re-engineer and, and for the long-term viability of, of our business and, and this product in particular, it's been a, a big learning curve. It's been, uh, you know, challenging at times to keep people patient, uh, which is a good sign that they're, they're very excited to get it, but we're doing everything we can to, you know, to get through our back order status and kind of get back to the place where we can really start promoting the product again and talking about what we're, we're excited about. So what advice would you have for another entrepreneur hoping to get on Shark Tank after a successful Kickstarter campaign? One is, you know, we, we kind of had an interesting process to get selected for the show. I was introduced to one of the producers who really liked the story. We had maybe a different route of getting involved with Shark Tank, but I, I think it's important, one, to be ready for it, to actually get on the show. It's, you know, there's a, a process there and it takes a lot of work. You have to be able to present yourself well. They're looking for people that are have compelling stories and products, but also people that would be good on TV. So you have to bring a lot of energy. I would encourage anybody to go for it. It's such an amazing show really for, for entrepreneurs, for companies that get selected, but even just for, you know, people that are watching and inspired by what people are doing. So I would just uh, encourage them to give it a shot, be ready for a long process and, and a lot of work to get actually on the show. Nice. All right, Nate, this gets us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a few questions at you. You good to go? I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? So I would say that I'm, I'm more of a learned entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I wasn't a, a born entrepreneur like some people seem to be. I think through my NFL days, I really learned what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And that's, you know, that's a factor of a couple of things. When you're on a NFL team, I, I really liken it to being kind of a sole proprietor, right? So your your body is your business. The the product that you put on the field is your business. And you know, in good companies, as they grow, the team grows. You add new people. And the NFL, it's it's very much a zero sum game. It's very competitive. If the team is winning, they're not adding new players. You know what I mean? So from that that standpoint, it's very competitive, and you have to beat and be better than the guys that are, are competing for your spot. So through that process, working out in the off season, training, eating right, knowing what it took to stay healthy and to take care of my body using tools like a great foam roller, all those things kind of led me to like that lifestyle of, hey, this I'm going to be in control of my own destiny. I know that I can create something that's that's great, put it out you know, into the world or put it out on the field, having that control and being able to do something that's that's hard, but do something that really helps or inspires people or entertains people. You know, I just love all that. So that's kind of how I came to entrepreneurism. So going back to your NFL days, if you could work out with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? <laughs> That's a, it's a great question. I would probably choose the current entrepreneur, Elon Musk. I'm inspired by his mission to save humanity, if you will, to change things. And then also have some products, some kind of big mega world changing projects that I would pitch to him. So he needs a foam roller seat in the Tesla. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Teslas are driving themselves now. So maybe just take out the seats, put in you know, a little pad back there. And, and, you know, as you're on your, on the road, you can, you can kill two birds with one stone with one phone roller. <laughs> I like it. I like what you're thinking. So any book you would recommend to our audience? 
Yeah, I would. I, I recommend the book Shoe Dog. Pretty much everyone I meet, I love the way it was written. It, it feels like a novel. If you don't know, it's about Phil Knight, his journey starting and creating Nike. It's pretty inspirational because he really lays out all the challenges he faced throughout the growth of Nike and all the doubts he had. Uh, it's just so well written. So I, I tell everyone to read that one. Yeah, that is an incredible story. I think I've listened to it now like four times on Audible. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm two or three times in for sure. All right, Nate, last question. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Yeah, so I mean, some of the things that I've noticed in crowdfunding is that I think it's getting more and more professional. You know, I think when, when Kickstarter or Indiegogo started, it was a lot of people doing halfway decent videos, posting it and kind of letting that organic nature take over and getting projects funded. Now you see a lot more professionals that are creating projects and doing the Kickstarter campaign. So it's kind of an arms race in a way where you have to use professionals that have been there before to really get noticed and to get your project funded. It's still, there's still amazing platforms in, in the terms of you get to product, test an idea. I would say you have to spend a little bit more now than maybe you used to to get that traction just because you do have to be able to cut through the noise. You have to do a ton of work up front. It's not like you can just put something on and just cross your fingers and hope it hits. I see that as a big change. Some of the other things that we look at, you know, is the equity crowdfunding platforms and what that means for entrepreneurs. I think those, you know, they're still growing. It's been interesting to see what's going on there, but I think those can be really powerful platforms for early stage companies that, that have big missions that, you know, can be communicated well, where you can go out and, and, and bring on investors. So yeah, those are the kind of the two things that, that I look at when I think of crowdfunding. Awesome. Well, Nate, this has been awesome. Please give our audience your pitch, tell them what you're all about, where people should go and why they should check you out. Sure. So at Brazen, we like to say that we make gear for the modern dream chaser, and that's providing tools to help people move better, be more active, live healthier lives, and not compromise when and how they do that. Our launch product is the Morph Collapsible Foam Roller. It'll fit in any backpack, carry-on, gym bag, golf bag, you name it. It'll slip right in there. When you need it, it's there on demand, so you can take care of your body anytime and anywhere. You can find us at brazenlife.com. That's brazen with a Y, so it's B-R-A-Z-Y-N-L-I-F-E.com. And yeah, you can find us there. You can learn about our mission. Hashtag is Brazen Life for the socials. And you can always reach out to us. We'd love to answer any questions and tell you why foam rolling and, and take care of everybody for the long term is, a, is an important thing. Indeed. Nate, thank you so much for being on the show. Audience, thank you again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the notes, the transcript, and links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Backer Kit. And if you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nate, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Roy. It was fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.